0: I've been so busy, honestly, pastoring people and praying and everything this week. Has anybody checked the, the church's March Madness bracket? Do y'all know who's in the lead? Is it me? Okay. Uh, way to go, Pastor. I know y'all are going to say it. Okay, so uh, ready or not, Easter is two weeks away. Come on, man. Okay, he is risen. Isn't indeed. Okay, we'll, we'll practice. Okay, so uh, two weeks away. So these kind of cards are all around. They're in some seats. They're in the connect table in the back. Take There's, ten, there's bundles of ten. Take them with you and invite 10 people between now and Easter. you got two weeks. That's less than one a day. Okay? Okay, so take those with you. Also at Easter, oh, like it. Also at Easter, we're, for the first time, we're going to have live translation into Spanish of the uh, sermon. Okay, so not like up here. There's going to be like somebody when people are going to have in headphones and stuff. So if you know somebody who, you know, uh, Spanish is their preferential language, They can come and hear the sermon in Spanish that day. I'll even try to talk slow enough so that they can understand what I'm saying and translate it live, okay? So I would love for you to do that. Invite somebody uh, for Easter. That's our big day, okay? All right, so we'll be in Luke chapter 21 today. If you wanna go ahead and turn there or scroll there. We're kind of jumping ahead in Luke before we jump back in. So we're walking through the gospel of Luke together. And so as we've been walking through, you know, we talked about like discipleship and just all these different things we've seen Jesus do and say. And today... We get to talk about and see how a follower of Jesus approaches money. I see, I saw like new people walking in this morning. I'm like, no, come next week. Uh, so I think it's funny. Uh, the two most awkward things for pastors to talk about are sex and money. And that's the things that y'all think about the most. So I'm just going to talk about it today. Not one of them, not, not all of it, okay? We can go there if you want. I, must, I guess I might as well go for the whole thing. But uh, I'll even admit in myself if I have to because... We're going to talk about it today. So, out of this, what I really, really want, what I really dedicated my life to, is that you love Jesus. That's what I want. And what I really want you to see is how tied up your money is into your heart and how you can approach that into your heart. And so, I think uh, it's hard really to really walk closely with Jesus and money have a tight grip on your heart at the same time. So, you know, uh, let's just so, and one of my favorite things about the Bible, Pastor Jeffrey even mentioned it earlier, I love how these old words are still alive and new and how thousands of years old, but still like, so, you know, all these different scientific studies will like, find new knowledge, but the Bible has been teaching it for a long time. And so uh, a couple of years ago, there was an academic secular book released by some well-respected sociologist uh, called The Paradox of Generosity, Giving We Receive and Grasping We Lose. So that they summarize their sociological, academic, secular research like this. Generosity is paradoxical. Those who give End up receiving back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we actually enhance our own standing. And letting go of some of what we own, we ourselves move toward flourishing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching. It is a sociological fact. In failing to care for others, we do not properly take care of ourselves. they teaching and showing and discovering what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years. It is better to give than receive. Okay, as we give love, it multiplies. As we give away resources, it just has this way of multiplying. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25 say, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he or she should give and only suffers one. This is how God created the world to work. We give freely, and then that generosity multiplies every which way, right? So my prayer for each of us today by the time we leave is not that you all leave going, ah, oh, so, I feel so guilty about what I haven't done. No, I, I hope that you leave, like Pastor Jeffrey again said, with our heads lifted high going, oh, God is so good, and I get to be a part of what he's doing. I get to be a cheerful giver. So let's look at Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus, he's in the synagogue, you know, kind of in a pew, as it were, and it says that Jesus looked up and saw the rich people putting their gifts into the offering box. And you, you kind of knew how much people were giving, you know, because there weren't checks or paper money. And so you could kind of hear how heavy the gift was. So you kind of knew uh, how big the gift was. So he saw the rich people putting their big gifts, he heard, into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow enter the scene and she put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, he said this to his disciples, truly. I'm telling you guys, this poor widow, she's put in more than all of those people, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. All She put in all that she had to live on. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So uh, Jesus is just sort of watching, right? He's observing what's going on. And then he says, it says there in verse one, that he sees the rich people putting their gifts in. And I wonder what rich means here. We all kind of have different, different definitions of that. Does it mean they drive a Benz and have a million-dollar home? Uh, I was listening to Sports Radio 1310, The Ticket, this week. I'm a P1, okay? It's where I get most of my news, actually. And so they were talking about this survey that different surveyors did to so where they would, ask, they would try to get people to guess a percentage, and then they would reveal. So they would say, like, what percentage of Americans do you think uh, have a pet? And the guess was 50%. But actually, sixty-seven percent of Americans have a pet. Seventy percent of Americans have a pet. Anyway, okay. So, so one of the questions was, how many? What percentage of Americans do you think make five hundred thousand dollars or more a year? And they guessed twenty (laughs) percent. I know it feels like that, okay? Uh, But it's only one less than one percent of Americans make that much money a year. Even though it kind of feels like everybody. It, I almost said stack and paper, glad I didn't. Uh, it feels like everybody's so rich around us, but so then we look at the 1% we go $500,000 a year. Okay, they're really rich. Uh, but you know, I, I bet we might all qualify. Uh, you got running water, f- fridge full of food, and you drove here. Okay, so, all right. So Jesus is just sitting back watching all the rich, uh, rich people, uh, drop in their cash, and then a lady who, verse 2, calls a poor widow enters the scene. She approaches the offering box, and she drops in two uh, it's, it's copper coins. It's the smallest uh, coin in circulation in Palestine of the day. It would be like somebody giving two cents on the online web portal giving today. Like, you know, they can't transfer that to the building fund. They can't buy a city group curriculum with that. It's really nothing. Right, and so the world would never notice this woman or this gift, and if we're not careful, we don't notice this woman or this gift. But Jesus notices; he sees her, he takes note, he remarks. Jesus is more interested in her gift than all the rich people, you know, dropping in their hundreds and sacks of hundreds. And the question becomes, why? Why does Jesus love this so much? And it's because God is after your heart. He loves you so much. You know, it's not like God's like, if this person would finally give, I could finally get the boat up and wanting. No, he wants your heart and he doesn't want some of your heart, part of your heart. He wants the whole thing. He's more interested in why she gave than what she gave. See, we just kind of naturally migrate towards safety, right? But Jesus invites us to walk by faith. Giving is all about the heart. It's all about our faith in Jesus. And here in the Luke 21 in the story, Jesus sees her, he sees her kind of dropping her pennies, and he calls his guys over. In uh, Mark's version, it, it details that. He calls the guys over, and he says, do y'all see that? I don't want you to miss what just happened, since the disciples kind of always miss what just happened, right? And so he goes, did you see that? She just gave more than anybody else. And I imagine Peter kind of leaning back to Matthew like, two pennies. She didn't, what's he talking about? Of course, she didn't give a higher dollar amount. But what she gave, her sacrifice was greater. In verse four, again, Jesus said, they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. She gave everything she had. And that phrase, that beginning of that sentence, they contributed out of their abundance has struck me between the eyes all week. Does that describe our giving? Can we afford what we give? Uh, You know, it's interesting. In all my ministry, I've had everything confessed to me. I can make the wildest person in here blush very easily. Of course, I won't share what they've told me over the years because then nobody will ever tell me anything else. I keep it confidential. You can trust me, okay? But even yesterday, like I'm at the ballpark, Cole's got a ball game, and I tell somebody I'm a pastor, and they're like, oh, I gotta tell you what just happened to me. And it was wild. I'm just, anyway, okay, it was crazy. So people do this to me. they, They tell me their stuff all the time. And so in 20 years of ministry, in 20 years, I've never had anybody, not one person confess greed to me. Uh, not one person has confessed the love of money to me, and that's like a top two competitor for our heart. And so I think this, is, this particular sin is really, really hard for us to see in ourselves. Uh, so as we consider personal applications today, we're going to talk about that a lot today. The question from sermons like this, sermons on money that often arises is, well, how, what's enough? I just want to give enough because I don't want to feel bad. Just tell me that I'll give, here's my card number, here's my check. I don't want to feel bad. What is enough? But the thing is, enough really isn't in the gospel vocabulary, except when it comes to Jesus being enough, his sacrifice being enough on your behalf on the cross. So this idea like, what's enough? I want to contribute enough. That sort of compulsion is not what Jesus is after. Okay, he's after your heart. God wants cheerful givers, the Bible says. So how do we get there? So there are a couple of uh, ditches to avoid when it comes to Christians viewing their possessions, viewing their money. So ditch one, the first ditch is, okay, God wants 10% of my money, and then I can do whatever I want with the other 90%, okay? Uh, now, I ascribe to the tithe. you never heard that word? And it started with God's people back in the Old Testament, where they would give 10% of everything they make, to the church, okay? So I, I think that's a great standard today. We live, my family lives by that. Again, it's not like paying a bill, but it's like a great standard of giving. And, and I mentioned this, of course, in the first service, and in between, one guy was like, I, I don't even think I could do 10%. Okay, well, start with 1%, grow to 2%. You, you don't go from zero to 100 sit-ups like me overnight, okay? You start with, <laughs> big laugh. Uh, so you start with you know a few sit-ups and you grow into more. So you know, start wherever you are. But my point is, it's all God's. Okay, that's the idea. It's all God's. And so the tithe is a great place to start and a pretty bad place to stop. And so, because again, if if you're just viewing the tithe like a bill, that's exactly what it feels like, okay? So, you know, many Christians actually believe and teach that if you will give God 10%, he will heap more and more riches on you. That's not what the Bible teaches. We don't give to get. And there's actually a lot of prosperity gospel preachers in Fort Worth, run from them. Do not run to them, run away from those uh, kind of guys. It's shameful what they teach, honestly, because they'll twist their biblical principle, like sowing and reaping. That is a biblical principle, but they'll twist that and just to exploit people, which I think is part of what Jesus is addressing here with his disciples. Like, you know, I think he wanted them to notice that this poor widow, her sacrificial gift, I doubt that the priests in the synagogue were going to, you know, use her gift to bless other people. They're probably going to buy a golden chalice or something, knowing the, the, the culture of the day. And I think that's part of what, you know, disturbed him as well. And so just, as you, just so you know, we spend a lot of time stewarding every dollar here, okay? If you're going to go into ministry, okay, a lot of you are. Every dollar that somebody gives to the church, we steward it very, very carefully. We want to unleash it on mission, okay? We want to bless our city with it. And so I think that's part of what upset him, too, because he's like, ah, oh, her sacrificial gift is going to this kind of ministry, right? So, again, we don't give to be blessed. We don't give to get. We give because God is good. That's why we give. So, giving to be blessed in return, you end up just kind of turning God into a servant to increase your own wealth, which is the kind of life that the world promises you will make you happy and it won't, okay? And so, that first ditch, again, so we submit everything to God, everything is His. And the other ditch, and I think we experience more of this than we realize. I can't enjoy my money because I should have given this money to somebody in need. It's like, uh, this other dish is really tricky because, you know, it's like we we begin to think that every dollar I make is just for world evangelization and to help. You know, so I get that, you know, and preachers and then we're not very helpful. You know, it's like, after all, uh, Jesus gave everything. Are you giving as much to the nations as Jesus gave for you? And then you're like, oh, I guess not. And it's hard to enjoy the latte when somebody's like, you know, that latte could have saved an orphan. And You're like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry that I have air conditioning. I, it's not what I, I'm sorry that I did that, right? So it, 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 we get there. And this dish is inspiring in a way, but it leads to despair because it delivers this kind of constant unbiblical angst about the good things that God has given you because where does the thinking end? Okay, can I never take my kids to ice cream? I can't ever go on a beach vacation because I should have given that money away. And and listen, I grew up as a missionary kid, okay? I, I grew, you know, we lived in the poorest part of a poor country. <coughs> so uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Schindler's List, uh, regarded as one of the greatest movies of all time. And so in the movie, the main character is Oskar Schindler, this German guy who during the, the World War I or Two. He spent his, I mean, every dollar he had, every moment he had rescuing Jewish people out of these camps. And so that, that's what the whole movie's about. And he res- he's just, he's a hero. I mean, so, so estimates are that he, that he personally, by himself, rescued a thousand Jewish people from these awful camps. One of the worst things in human history. And at the end of the movie, so he's done all this. He's sacrificed. He's personal sacrifice. And toward the end of the movie, he had kept a watch that somebody in his family meant a lot to him. He kept it. And toward the end of the movie, he looks down at his watch and he goes, this watch, I could have saved two Jews with this watch. He senses this despair, like it's never enough. And so how do we keep her between the ditches? As we say in Mississippi, I'll regret that too. So how do we give sacrificially and cheerfully while enjoying good things? does not that like a good life? Okay, so I want to show you kind of a framework. I got five principles for the, the the all from the Bible, how do we live these five things out? And the, we hold these fives all intention. Okay, so if you really go, you know, for number three, and you forget one in five, you'll be out of balance, and you won't be living out what the Bible describes. So we hold these kind of all intention, like a trampoline, as it were, all holding together. And from there, we can go. So first, Jesus's radical generosity toward us is a model for our radical generosity toward others. And I use that word radical on purpose, okay? Because Jesus literally, he actually did give everything, okay? He spilled his own blood. In the famous verse, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, what did he do after he loved the world? He gave. So out of our love, we give. So it all comes from Jesus. We give out of love like Jesus. We sometimes, you know, maybe we, <clears throat> we kind of give to feel good, you know, or we'll give so that we get some sort of return. But, you know, Christian giving We don't roll down the window, give the unhoused person five bucks and our Venmo and go, okay, hit me back whenever you get on your feet. That's not what we're doing, okay? Loving others is the result of being loved by Jesus. One of the things we say a lot here is giving with no strings attached, okay? No strings attached at all. So if you love others, you'll joyfully give away the money, your money for their benefit, no strings attached, but this principle needs to be balanced with the other four because you're never going to give like Jesus, okay? That's our standard. He's our goal, but you're never going to reach that goal in a way. So second, God gives some people more so they can share with people who have less. In 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians eight fourteen. Paul told one church, your abundance at this present time should supply for their need. That's another church. Your church should help their church financially. Y'all are doing well. They're on tough times. Help them out. So this is a biblical thing that we see all the time. And he's talking about, so, and and then in the next verse, he quotes Exodus 16, where God's people are taught about being generous. And he says, as it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no Like, Leave that up for a second, I'm gonna talk about it. So <laughs> he's talking about our spiritual ancestors. If you'll remember the nation of Israel, they were enslaved in Egypt. And God does all this stuff. He sends pestilences and plagues and all this stuff to disrupt Pharaoh's mojo. And then then he rescues a million people out of slavery. God brings his people out of slavery and they're walking through the desert. And then an army's chasing them and an ocean's before them. And God literally parts the ocean. They walk across on dry land and then he drops the water on the army. And so now they're safe forever. And then like 12 hours later, they're like, God, it's hot out here. Where are the leeks and the cucumbers? I'm quoting, okay? Okay. And so that, so, so, God's like, all right, I got you. I hear you. You're not going to be in a five-store resort for a while, but every morning as you walk out of your tent, there's going to be frosted flakes around, a.k.a. manna. You just go out there, yeah, It's much like that actually. And you go out there and you, you can have what you want. You have enough for the day. And he said, tell everybody when they come out of their tent to take only what they need for the day. He said, don't take any extra. So go back to the quote. Whoever got much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. God was teaching his people that all they needed was him. Families would would go outside in the morning and dads would strap on their new balances and go, all right, kids, grab all you can. But why, dad? Why would we do that? Because you never know what tomorrow brings. But God was showing them he actually does know what tomorrow brings. He actually has it in his hand. And you know what would happen if they would take too much? It would get worms. Overnight, It it would not last until the next day. It was spoiled. And so, They had to depend on God every day. He was showing his people that he will supply for them every step of the way. And he'll show you that too, you know? Uh, He's saying today, don't hoard your money like it's gonna protect you. It can't. Uh, It can't keep you safe. Don't let your money replace me. I want your heart. Don't don't let your stuff replace me. I'm gonna be your good father every single day. We're not to stockpile our money like Scrooge McDuck. Ever feel like that? Uh, Diving off and swimming our money. No, we give it away. And then God gives us more, and then we give it away, and then God gives us more, and he will prove to you that he will provide for you. There's this old hymn that we sing in my home church, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And we see all throughout the Bible that God really, really cares for the poor. He has this really special affinity for the poor. Uh, I think it's significant that God showed that Jesus was born into a low-income household. He was born in a barn, for goodness sake. And so he was raised in a poor household. And, I, and the Gospels make it really clear that Jesus spent a majority of his time with the you know, have-nots of society. So I think part of, the, of living out the Gospel is to cultivate a really special concern for the poor. We each need to do that. We all need to do that. So how often do I rub shoulders with people who have less than me? How often do I do that? And so we tend to, you know, cities are built in such a way to where we tend to live, work, and play around people who have kind of what we have. People in my neighborhood kind of have what I have. People in your apartment complex kind of have what you have. That's naturally how it works. And so you tend to be around (coughs) people that have what you have. So, So we really have to kind of go out of our way to break across socioeconomic barriers. So let's go out of our way. You know? What does it look like this Saturday, this Monday night, whatever it looks like in your regular rotation and the rhythm of your life to go out of your way and rub shoulders with people? You know, we have people in our church who serve weekly and monthly in a refugee ministry. Join them. Sign on the, you know, make, make a note on the connection card. I'll hook you up. Okay, you can talk to me personally, of course. Uh, Adrian Martinez, he was in the first service. Uh, every, you know, he works for an organization that does food distribution. He would love, he needs your help, okay? You know, you know, so... Again, contact me. I'll connect you with Adrian. We're about to start an ESL ministry. English as a second language uh, here at the Y in a couple of months. And so serve in ministries like that. And you can really like just help people in Jesus' name, no strings attached. Third, as we balance all this out, God wants his people to enjoy, circle that word in your mind, enjoy what he's given to them. You know, we can think of God kind of like this cosmic micromanager who's like looking over our shoulder all the time. Everything's a test, uh, but that's not who God is. It pleases God when you enjoy good things. It pleases God. It glorifies God when you enjoy the steak or some Andy's frozen custard or a beach vacation. Soaking in his goodness, man. And we kind of tell on ourselves here sometimes, we'll be like, yeah, I, I had the best steak at Bob's Steakhouse last week. But you know, we never go there. Like we eat ramen every other day. It's like, no, enjoy the steak. We're happy for you. God loves it. You're glorifying him. Now, of course, we can overindulge. We got to balance it with the other four principles, but enjoy. The psalm says that he gives us food and wine to gladden our hearts. So it's it's not just nourishment, but also to have a great life, right? John 2.10, and Jesus' first recorded miracle. I preached this text last year, one of my favorite things to teach about. Jesus' first recorded miracle, he, he was at this uh, you know, wedding, and they ran out of wine. And it says that Jesus created really good wine out of the water for everybody at the wedding party to enjoy. He didn't make cheap wine. Insuffi- like just kind of sufficient watered down stuff. He made the good stuff. And sometimes, some of you Baptists, are, you're like, what's the difference in cheap stuff? So, okay, so let's say you're at a wedding party and they run out of ham sandwiches. You know, they run out of the little ham sandwiches. And then Jesus brings out ribeyes and lobster tails. You're like, where were the lobster tails the whole time? It's like that, okay? So the point is, Jesus provided good stuff at the party because he loved his father's creation, and he knew that by enjoying it, it would be glorifying God. First Timothy six says that God gave us richly all things to enjoy. On and on I could go. I just want you to realize at the same time it's okay to, it's good to enjoy what God has given you, and give freely and sacrificially, and we hold these things in balance. Now. If you take this principle apart from the other four, you live an indulgent life that does not look very much like the generosity of Jesus, but we hold it in balance. Fourth, money cannot make you happy. My goodness, how many times am I going to say this over the next 30 years here? Um, but you knew that. I don't have to say this a lot. Yeah, we, we know that. We know that if we won the lottery tonight, not, we'd be no happier. Do we know that? Okay, so uh, the world cannot deliver on the promises that it makes. We keep looking to money to satisfy us. Like, if I get a little bit more... Okay, that didn't do it. But if I can get a little bit more, that didn't do it. But if I can do that vacation, that didn't do it. And we're on this hamster wheel that's never going to get to its intended destination. Uh, like disappointing kids on Christmas afternoon we're just like already bored with the new toys. Indulgences never scratch the ultimate itch. Again, a good steak is great. A vacation is great. But it's never going to quite get that ultimate thing that only Jesus can deliver for us. C.S. Lewis tells a story of a little boy heading toward the beach for the first time. He's never been to a beach, it's called Holiday at Sea. If you can look it up later, one of my favorite uh, stories that C.S. Lewis tells. Uh, so, it's called, so, this little boy's gonna go to the beach for the first time, and the beach is kind of just over the crest, just over the hill. You can't see it yet. And his parents are like, Come on, bud, let's go to the beach. But just right off the road, it's this puddle of mud, and he jumps in. He starts playing, and they're like, Buddy, uh, no, uh, let's. The, the beach, there's white sand, and the waves are great. You can't see it yet, but it's right over there, and he spends the day just playing in the mud. So often this is us and our money where we're like, oh, this is really it. Nothing could be better than this jet ski, Kawasaki jet ski. Nothing's better than this kitchen renovation. It's like, actually, no, over the hill, there's this life you can't even imagine of free and cheerful giving that just blesses you and everybody around you, right? Fifth, I don't have time to uh, tease this out really, and I don't have the expertise anyway, but it's, uh, it's good to save money and build. Well, it's good. To build wealth. The Proverbs speak a lot about this principle. The crown of the wise is their wealth. The plans of the diligent, circle that word, lead surely to abundance. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Proverbs 13 goes so far as to say that uh, a wise man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren right? And so if you're interested in how to build wealth, again, that's not my expertise, okay? Other people help me with that. People like Steve Douglas, okay? And so Steve, so he's taught other classes like this in the past. So if you're if you're like, I would really like to take a class about how to manage my money and build a budget and invest, all that kind of thing, we're thinking about doing it. So but I don't know. So if there's enough people that tell me that, that they want a class like that, you can mark it on the connection card. If there's enough people, we'll do that class. It'll be five or six weeks at nighttime. And so if you want to have that class, then let me know. Um, but the Bible teaches, okay, that you're to work hard, save responsibly, and give radically. And that kind of life, man, it's just the best because it's the way of Jesus. All of these principles kind of fall on their own, but held in tension together, we can keep her between the dishes, okay? As the band comes up, you know, any sermon brings up thoughts and emotions. A sermon on money, of course, does as well. You know, one of the things that I... Uh, ask in premarital counseling, when we talk about money, I'll say, I'll ask, what does money mean to you? And a lot of times if a person grew up kind of without money, money means security, right? Money means like, if I can just have some money, I can finally feel like I can sleep at night, I can rest. And so what does money mean to you, right? Maybe you sit and pray about that with God, do some heart work. Maybe you want to start jotting down specific applications that you can live out. Maybe you came in here with some things going on in your life that you haven't heard anything I've said until right now. It's okay. We want to give you space. You know that I'm convinced that our world is too noisy. So just take some time. Take a few minutes. The band's going to kind of strum and maybe they'll even sing, but don't feel any pressure to sing. Just sit, have some, have some space, and, and talk with God.